This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. All right, it's officially basketball season. The NBA tipped off on Tuesday. College basketball media days are almost done. And Illinois basketball has its first exhibition Saturday against St. Francis. And the return of college basketball season for us here at Alana Enquirer means the return of more Mike Latua podcasts and content. And this year we're kind of happy to have more of a formal uh, partnership with Mike. And, and we announced that earlier this week. And Mike will join us for a weekly podcast, do a VIP film room breakdown for us to help us understand the what's, the why's of what's happening on the court. And we're starting all of that today with a look ahead to the season. And Mike, let's go, man. Uh, pumped to have you on board Looking forward to a lot of fun talking ball, and we should be a really, really exciting Illini basketball season yet again. Well, I'm fired up, man. I, I can't, I can't thank you well enough for allowing me to come on weekly. Uh, I looked forward to it, and whenever I got the text from you last last year, it was midway through the second half, and you just would hit me up and say "pod," and I was like, "Yeah, let's do it." it didn't matter if it was 1 a.m. or midnight; I didn't care. I was hopping on because I love our conversations and and we're obviously diving into a team that has a lot of excitement around it uh a team that coming off a great year last year um i know all of us kind of had the taste in our mouths from how it ended but the the full picture of it um is is a beautiful picture um and, and it's one that i think this team is continuing to build on they've, they've added some pieces here in the off season that um via the portal, via recruiting. I think they've done a great job, not only just finding pieces, but finding pieces that make sense. Yeah. Um, and I think each one of these guys uh, that they've added brings something to the table. And, and that's what you want out of a team is, you know, it's not about just going to get guys, right? It's, it's what guys can we get and how can we utilize their abilities, um, you know, to push forward and, and to, to create a more cohesive unit. So um, give Brad and the, and the staff a lot of credit. They've done a heck of a job there. Yeah, and this week on the VIP film side, we're going to do uh, some of the new additions to this team and what they can add, uh, the guys from the transfer portal, which I think are going to be really interesting pieces uh, to add to this roster. So we'll do that here uh, in a little bit. So if you're a VIP member, look forward to that. Um, but I do want to shout out, hey, thanks to your wife for for allowing me to you know text you and have you on to like 1 a.m. some nights. And uh, no, the, fan, the fans love it, man, and, and all our listeners and, and uh, subscribers love it. So we're really pumped to have you back so let's talk about this season because Kofi Coburn's return obviously changed expectations after all that flirtation with the draft and, and even the transfer portal we're seeing the preseason polls come out and boy uh, it's nice to see Illinois towards the top of these things again unofficial media poll in the Big Ten had him finishing third in the Big Ten three out of 28 votes um, had him to pick to win the league one was myself and Derek Piper had Illinois at the top the ranked number 11 in the AP preseason poll and while some Illini fans might might get upset with some of those and say disrespect my team 
it's nice to be disrespected when you're towards the top of these things. Uh, th- those are exciting for the program to be in that discussion yet again. No question. And, and you know, I, I was talking to a few people the other day and um, 11 sounds about right. Yeah. Uh, and, and when I say sounds about right, I think they're better than the 11, you know, being the 11 team in the country. But you also got to think, how is the AP going to vote? And in my opinion, if the AP put them top five, I would have been shocked just because everybody gets fixated on the uh, on the losing IO uh, aspect of it. So I, I didn't expect voters to, to, to really push them into the top five. And then I kind of thought that if they drop past 15, that that wouldn't make sense either. So 11 kind of sounds kind of sounds about right. But, you know, you hit the nail on the head. There's just a, there's just a lot of exciting pieces to this team starts with with the two guys, um, with Andre Curbelo and, and, and Kofi Coburn. But yeah, I'd be remiss to not mention Trent Frazier because uh, he's been a, a massive part of uh, of this turnaround, quite honestly. Uh, but but both these guys, Curbelo and, and Coburn, in, in my opinion, uh, are both, you know, I, I, I'll say this. I've always been, I've been bullish on, on, uh, on Andre Curbelo for a long time. And I think his name gets thrown around in terms of the, best you know best point guard in the big 10 or you know potentially best point guard in the country i andre Cabello is one of the best players in the country and I, I say that and that's not me being a homer that's not me bleeding orange and blue it, you can't find a guy in college basketball who has a better feel for the game you just can't and and, and what we saw on display last year was him as a freshman coming off the bench um, a role that I'm sure he had never played before. Uh, he's always had the ball in his hands from from the second the ball tips. So to see him come into that type of role and just completely embrace it and, and be himself, really. Uh, and then when Iowa goes down for three games, you you start to get a sneak peek like, whoa, you know this this is this is special. And then you know all the things that I'm seeing and hearing out of out of Oven. I mean, it's it's going to be a heck of a year, man. It sounds like enjoy him while you have him. Which which is great, man. I mean, you want your guys to have success and go to the NBA, and he's obviously got to got to improve some things, especially the, the jumper and all of that. But uh, they do have one of the best duos in the country. I want to get back into that, Mike. But let's start here. You do lose one of the best players in the country that's now on the Chicago Bulls roster, and you lose a guy that I thought could have taken a big leap this year. And I, I think Adam Miller will be a really good player at LSU. And I thought he bought into his role last year, obviously wanted a different role as a sophomore, probably the ball in his hands a little bit more. What does Illinois lose with those two, as, as well as uh, Georgie Bishanishvili? I don't want to um, run past him without mentioning him. What do they lose by losing those guys? I think you mentioned it. Those are three guys that were, I mean, it's, it sounds weird to say bought in after a guy transfers, but but you know you couldn't watch a game and say that Adam Miller wasn't bought in uh into what his role was and but starting with Io Desumu, it goes without saying uh, it's sometimes it's tough because I feel like when you when you say that a team is going to be better than they were last year as a one seed with a guy that's you know according to some outlets was a national player of the year uh, and played like it it's almost like people get caught up and this isn't this isn't an, anything against Io. um this is the sign of a really great program uh, this is what happens, you know, when, you know, when, when Jalen Brunson leaves and then you bring in like a Colin Gillespie or you know, there's, there's a lot of different examples about it. Like, you know, Frank Kaminsky leaves Wisconsin and then you have Ethan Happ. It's, you know, good programs tend to reload like that. And, and this is a sign of, like I said, a great program. So with IO, you do lose some of that. Yeah. I, I thought he was a big, uh, people fed off his confidence. Um, 
you know, I thought that was part of the turnaround. I thought he showed that his freshman year uh, and then continued to expound upon that and, and grow with that as he as he got older. And guys really followed him uh, and, and followed his confidence where, hey, ball's in my hands at the end of the game. It's a wrap. Like, it's over. Yeah. And I think all those guys bought into that type of mentality. And there's a lot to be said about that. Um, I do think they've ushered in – you know, some other guys now that have that same type of dog mentality where it's like, hey, you know, if we're up here at the end of the game, we're, we're stepping on your throat. It's over. Um, yeah, there, there are guys in this team that, that possess that. And, you know, and then and then you look at a guy like when you when you talk about Io finishing those games. Right. And, and that becomes the big question mark this year uh, is who that becomes. I think that the natural answer is Andre Curbelo, because I do think that he is much more of a natural scorer than people people even realize um but closing the game i mean you got uh, i mean we'll, we'll do the film later but i mean Plummer's done it he's hit big shots uh he's not necessarily a guy you want to go breaking dudes off the dribble but he's made big shots before in big moments so you know having experience doing that is huge but i'll go back to adam miller uh i thought he was fantastic defensively um you know and and, and just really accepting his role he kind of took on the the trent identity where it's like hey by the end of the year like i'm not getting screened uh, it's just not happening. And, and that's, that's credit to Trent because when you see a guy like that every single day, he's doing it like, man, I got, I got to stop running into screens. Mm-hmm. Um, but I thought Adam was, you know, he was up and down with, with his outside shooting. I think he's a probably a little bit better shooter than, than what he showed last year. Not saying he shot a, a terrible percentage, but um, I thought he had a, a few open ones that, that probably go if he's a little bit more confident. Uh, and then Georgie, I mean, how about Georgie? I know he didn't check into any of the preseason games, but he's, he's wearing a Nuggets jersey. Um, you know, I, he, he's a guy that over the years, energy is really the first thing that you think about with him. And, and he's vocal. Um, and, and there's a lot to be said about that. You talk about the defensive end, especially. I mean, anytime they're, they're showing a Georgie clip or, you know, Georgie scores a basket and the camera pans to him as he's running down the floor. Like he's barking. He's yelling. Um and if you don't have guys that are naturally like that, then, a, then you can kind of take for granted a voice like George yeah. has. Um, but but I do think that these other pieces that they've had, because Iowa was the way he was, because Georgie was the way he was, and because of the, some of the things that Adam Miller did, I think it sets up this next wave of, of people stepping in to contribute to be like, oh, no, this is what we do at Illinois. So I, so I do think that you do lose a few pieces, but, um, you know, but, but I, I do think you reload in those areas. Yeah. Oh, let's let's talk about the two superstars here. And I, I'm willing to say Curbelo is that in college basketball already uh, and a lot of national media. Like I was talking to Mike DeCorsi at Big Time Media Days. And he's like, I didn't know everybody else thought Andre Curbelo was great because I thought I was on an island as, hey, this guy could be one of the best players in the country. Uh, and then Jeff Goodman puts him on his All-American first team. Right. So expectations are high for him. What is his next steps as a player and what is Kofi? Uh, his next steps in a third season that most of us probably didn't think was going to happen at Illinois. Yeah. I mean, let's, let's start with Curbelo. Um, we've talked about this before. There, there are a few guys that, you know, you're not even willing to get up and go to the fridge to go get a drink when they're on the floor. I mean, over the years for me, that was Steph, that was Jimmer, that was John Morant. I'd watch all of his games and, and Curbelo is the same way. Like I I'm watching, I'm watching the screen because you may miss, you may miss something unbelievable, but you know, going going beyond just what he's able to do and, and the flash of it. Um, I always go back to, to these guys. Like some people can see things and say that they're flashy. 
But when you really, really break down, maybe I'll maybe I'll put on one of these these film breakdowns. But there was a there was a pass that he made in the Penn State game at home. It was a behind the back pass right under the basket to Io. And if you look at it, it's like, oh, there's Carbello again going behind the back. But it was really the only pass he could make. And, and he can do it so confidently that that it unlocks a complete like completely different angles on the court for him to deliver passes. And, and part of it is guys don't throw it because guys aren't confident throwing it, but he can do that. I think the, the biggest thing with Andre Curbelo this year, and you know, you hear the rumblings, you know, out of practice that he is shooting it well. Um, and I think case in point, I, he was a 73% free throw shooter at the line last year, but it looks good. Like it's not broken. He had like he has rotation, he has good lift. And I I'm a firm believer that as he starts to to add that to his game, like there's I Jeremy, I'll say this, and this is not. I'm not speaking in hyperbole. If he can shoot, if he's over 35% from three this year and shows that he can do it off the bounce, off catch and shoot, adding to like the other things that he does in his game where he, he showed he can guard towards the end of the year, he was a pest on the ball. Uh, he's unbelievable in ball screen situations. I don't think it's out of the question to think he could be a lottery pick. Yeah. I, I texted you, you texted me that. And I said, Ricky Rubio, right. He, he has some of that in his game. Like Ricky's a little bigger, Right. But like he's got some of that to his game if he can hit 30 percent plus. If he and here's the thing, you look at typically how guys get qualified out of the NBA is he has this, he has that, but he doesn't have this. You know, he has this, he has that, but he doesn't have these two things. With Andre Curbelo, like where are the holes in his game when if he can develop and he has it, it's not developing. It's about being confident in his outside shot. If he has that, he play makes better than anybody in the country. Uh, he showed that he's a more than capable defender, um, making guys uncomfortable. Uh, he's unbelievable in ball screen situations, obviously offensively. And that that's the NBA. Yep. If you can, if you're a ball handler and you can be a maestro in ball screens, both offensively and defensively, there's a place for you. And, and then you factor in, I mean, he's at, he is incredibly athletic. Um, well, I think one of the more underrated part of his games, like we felt like, Oh yeah, like the dunks, and stuff, but it's it's more just like his lateral movement, like his his twitchiness, like he has all of that. And you start breaking it all down, you're like, I don't know. And, and this this class is going to be a little less loaded than uh, the previous draft class, so I think that could that could end up playing in his favor. You know, lottery I think is like his ceiling, but I, but I don't think it's out of the question to think that he can certainly be a a first round draft pick if he if he adds that part of his game. But the but here's the thing, uh, you're a facilitator like Andre Corbello. You got to, it becomes a little bit more of a decision. If you start scoring the ball a little bit more, you, it's hard. Now you're really like, all right, I got to keep guys, I'm a facilitator. Like I make guys better. So how are you compartmentalizing that? Like, yeah, like finding last year, it's like finding, the finding balance that balance. That. Yeah. That's, that's going to be the biggest challenge for Andre Corbello this year. Cause, cause I'll be honest, I fully expect, and he's fully capable of doubling his scoring output from last year. Um, I, I think, I think he's going to be north of 17, 18 points a game. Um, You know, it it was 21 minutes a game last year. Um, And a lot of that was just late that kind of pushed him over the 20 minute a game mark. Uh, But when you talk about his per 40 numbers being whatever they were, 16 and a half and eight and seven, uh, and that's with Iowa. Uh, So I, I think he's in a position to have an incredible year. And, and, and I do think a guy, you know, I'll dive into, to Kofi here as well. Um, 
Big Ten Player of the Year candidate, National Player of the Year candidate. It's it crazy to be talking about. I mean, it's it's just amazing how much he impacts everything they do, Mike. Like, um, Io changed the program, right? Him coming here changed the program. Their numbers, defensively, offensively, rebound, everything changed when he got here. And you get that for a third year. Like, I never thought that was going to happen. And you get it for a third year, and it just automatically makes you think, yeah, the floor of this team's fifth because of that one guy. And then you add all the other pieces around it to add to the ceiling. Like, he is just a complete eraser, potentially, for Purdue and Michigan, right? And just there's a, a bottom half of the Big Ten. You can't compete against Illinois sometimes because of that guy. Um, he's he's so valuable. Like, he he's yeah. such a valuable player that we can poke holes in his game. As a college basketball player, he's got the chance to establish himself as one of the most impactful Illini of all time. He already kind of has, but, like, he's in that pantheon after this year because there's – few guys that have made an impact on winning as much as he does. And, oh, he's got the stats and the highlights with dunks and everything and the dominance to, to do it. But uh, I, I know the holes in his game for the next level, but I don't care about that if I'm an Illinois guy right now. No, and, and, and the thing with Kofi, I think when you really, you know, when you really look at his game, I, I don't expect, you know, I think he went up four points a game from his freshman year to his sophomore year. I don't expect that type of jump this year. Um, but I, I do think the biggest challenge for Kofi is just is, you know, consistency is good. Don't get bored with consistency. Um, you know, I think it, sometimes it's like, oh, I'm really dominating the college game. How can I expand it? No, you're dominating the college game because of what you do currently. Um, so if you start mixing in 15 foot jumpers and trying to attack off the dribble from the wing, like you're going away from what made you dominant. And, and I think we always talk about, you know, when you talk about the, the best players of all time, you know, the goats in the NBA, you talk about Jordan, you talk about LeBron, um, you know, some people will probably throw Kobe in there. You know, the older people will say, it's the ring. So it's Bill Russell. Um, no one ever mentioned Shaq, but people mentioned Shaq for being the most dominant player. And, and I think that's where Kofi is in, in, in terms of college basketball. Like he is a dominant player. And I, and I think he can really take his game to another level of, you know, he was seven free throw attempts a game last year. And that ain't, that ain't changing this year. And you go from about 67% your freshman year to 50, 55, 53 uh, last year. I mean, that he's shooting a third. He shot a third of their free throws last year. Um, so you look and say, man, we're 68% from the free throw line. Well, when a third of it is 55%, you're going to get pulled down. Well, and, and think about all the the close games they can have, and Io, you know, bails you out sometimes at the end of games. Like if you make those free throws, it might not be that close. Uh, I agree with you, Mike. I, I don't think, I don't think he needs to go out there and shoot a bunch of fifteen footers. Like I, I don't think he has to shoot, make free throws. But how is he going to make a, an impact in the NBA? It's it's as this physical, imposing rebounder, helping in ball screens, improving some lateral quickness as much as he can, being better defensively, but it's dominating in the post. It's dominating in the glass and potentially doing that for eight to 12 minutes. Like I, I don't think he's going to start shooting 15 foot jumpers and making a lot of them to, for one, but I, I just don't think that's going to make him go from second round pick to lottery pick. Like, I just don't think that's happening for him. No, it's not. And, and you look at, there's, there's plenty of use cases for it where guys want to say, oh, okay, I'm done with college. They, I played a certain way. I'm going to the NBA. I got to play a, you know, a different way now. Go, go back and look at Brooke Lopez. Look at Brooke Lopez now. And look at Brooke Lopez's first six seasons in the NBA where he took, I think, three three-pointers. Um, 
like that was who he was in college and that's what got him to the NBA. Yeah. There's certain holes in, in, in Kofi's game. It sounds crazy saying that for a national player of the year candidate, but that's almost encouraging at the same time. Like there are, there are things for him to get even better at and, and forget the 15 footers and forget, you know, doing things on the perimeter. Like he needs to be a better ball screen defender period. Like that's, that's part of the reason that Illinois was sitting at home watching the sweet 16 last year. Um, and Loyola knew that like they were going to put him in as many ball screen situations as possible. And I thought it was the issue at the beginning of the year. And I thought he got better at it. And then he regressed, you know, in that, in that round of 32 game, because I've always said with ball screen defense, when you're the guy that's, that's, they call it sinking, right. Or somebody call it veering uh, where guy comes off on a ball screen and you're, you're not trapping, you're not hard hedging. You're just kind of sinking. And if you don't sync with any activity, guys can make passes over you. Guys can pull up and don't feel uncomfortable. Uh, I thought Georgie did a, a decent job of it where, like, he can be – he's in the middle and he kind of makes you think a little bit. Like, oh, man, like, should I throw that? And like Kind of looks like a madman throwing his hands around like that. Yeah, and it sounds, cra- it sounds crazy, but really that's – all you're trying to do is deter the offensive player from being extremely comfortable with their decision that they're making. Like that's, you know, if I can come off and just say, well, Crutwig's going to be right there and I'm just going to load it up in my right hand and throw it over my shoulder and he's going to lay it in. Like they got into a rhythm that way. And sometimes in those single elimination games, like it's hard, it's hard to stem the tie. It's really hard. Yeah. I'm just thinking of Nana Agu and just all my appreciation for him in those, right? Like that's the guy I'm thinking of waving his hands. I always, I always compared him to the guy outside of the uh, um, car you know, car sale, the, the floaty arm guy, <laughs> like that's, yep. that's, that's how Nana was in those ball screen or slip back um, situations. And it works. That's, that's, yeah, that's how he was. And, and then, you know, just as I'm making the comment about Andre Grabello about, you know, the NBA is ball screens. Um, and, and that's part of the reason we can talk about, you know, developing a 15 footer. I'll, I'll be honest. I don't think the NBA cares about that, yeah. but the NBA does care if you can't guard a ball screen. Cause it, it ain't, it ain't Braden Norris coming off the ball screen. It's Damian Lillard and Steph Curry and, um, you know, the best NBA players and the best professional basketball players in the world from 28 so if you're feet. Not, what's that <laughs> from 28 feet <laughs> from 28 feet. So like, if you, if you can't at least make do, cause here's, here's the reality. Like you're not, it's not about guarding those guys or getting switched on them or playing one-on-one. Cause even Rudy Gobert can't do that. Rudy Gobert is the defensive defensive player of the year and Steph, Steph and Damian Lillard cook him uh, if he gets switched on to them. So it is, it isn't about all these other aspects of your game. It's being good at what, you know, what is required of you in the NBA, which is be a good ball screen defender. Uh, that's why we have you in there. Um, so, you know, but, I, but I do think getting back to the point, we talked about free throws with Kofi and, you know, I, I'm going back to his freshman year. Cause I remember watching this and I was like, you know, he shot 53% last year. I get it. He added, he added, I guess a little bit of mass, which is even hard. It's hard to add to that frame. Um, but his freshman year, I think people forget he had a 33 for 40 stretch. 33 for 40 at seven, seven foot 290. That's insanity. Insanity. So like he has it. Like it's just, it's the same thing with Andre Corbello's outside shot. Like he has it. Um, it's just a matter of going up to the line and, and, and you know, I'm, I'm the guy. I wasn't, the, I wasn't the post player. So I'm not getting, you know, smacked across the arm and hit across the neck and then having to go shoot free throws most times. Um, 
but just repping that and being confident, like you've done it before. It's not like this is a DeAndre Jordan situation where it's like, man, he's 36% and I'm not sure if we can up that, but even DeAndre did it. Yeah. You know, DeAndre all of a sudden was like 70% one year. So, you know, those are little things that I think he can, he can obviously improve on. Uh, we'll talk about a little bit with Omar Payne, but the other thing is just being able to really pick and choose the best times to protect the rim. Like you always want to protect the rim, but we talked about this before where, you know, you can't be the guy every single time going for the weak side block because your guy's going to get an offensive rebound. And if you don't give your, your other defenders a chance to come sink and fill, you know, you're, you're leaving your team in a tough spot. And he did that a few times last year, a couple of times he sent it into the stands and like killed one of the cutouts, but you know, other times you're, you're hurting your team in that regard. So yeah. you know, he can, he can take that to another level, his ball screen defense, knowing when to really be that rim protector from the weak side. There's a lot of stuff for, for a guy that is a national player of the year candidate. Like there's a lot of stuff for him to improve on. And if he improves on that, this team gets a lot better. Yeah. I, I just want to repeat, like he got so much better on the post last year with his moves, uh, became even better rebounder. Uh, so I want to mention those positives, but the other thing is five assists all of last year, right? Like, in this offense, especially with more shooters around him, Mike, it feels like that's an area I don't mind if Kofi's takes it on a double team. Like he he can score, he can get to the free throw line and do that. But it felt like there were some opportunities out there that, you know, you can find a wide open shooter and you got good shooters around you. If if a team's collapsing on you, you gotta make them pay for it. Yeah, it's it's a really delicate balance yeah. with those bigs. Cause what you don't want to do is put it in their head that they have to throw it out every time they get pressure um because then that's almost working against you because right you know Kofi's team wants right you know, yeah Kofi's not Aaron Rodgers so it's like it's not like he's gonna pinpoint every guy every single time and then you don't want to just have wasted possessions because here's the reality like if Kofi gets a double team it's, it's probably still advantage Kofi <laughs> um like dead serious and, and I think yeah. you're you're better off with him going to his right shoulder and putting up a, you know, a, a six foot hook shot over two guys than having him try to like thread a cross court pass. Um, but there are other ways to get into it. Like there's, you know, if you can do split screen action on, on the, on the strong side, you know, a lot of times you want to clear out for Kofi to give him space, but even some split screen action can give him some easy looks. And by split screen, I mean, you know, you have Kofi on the right block. Um, and then in the right corner, you have a guy and on the right wing, you have a guy and on the enter, you know, the guy on the right corner is coming up to set a screen for the guy in the wing. And then you just have some action guys can cut off of it. Um, but honestly, like keeping it simple with Kofi is probably the best way to go about it. In my opinion, it's like, Hey dude, you're a beast. Ain't broke. You know, yeah, you, you get it down there. It's a wrap. Like, and, and you don't need him to, cause what's really the difference. What's if you start telling him to be wary of that, what does he go from five assists to 14 assists? Right. You're right. Like, and if that's sacrificing, his potency underneath the basket and you know it's kind of a net negative so uh i I think in that regard you look back at and and you touched on it like he was much more efficient last year and i think part of that had to do with our guy andre gravello um and io io was great with those lobs and and he started to get so much more high percentage shots i think uh, off the top of my head i i I think he was around 53 54 percent from the field his freshman year which is actually kind of insane to think about. Um, that's insanely low for what he should be. And then, and, you know, and then last year, I think he was in the, you know, mid to, mid to high 60s, um, which is really where he should be because all of his shots should be from about, you know, eight feet and in. So, uh, you know, we can talk for days about those two guys for sure. But, um, you know, I expect both of them to be right up there 
first team all Big Ten, um, you know, and, and really probably in the conversation for for national player of the year. Um, At least one of them will be, yeah. that's for sure. Mike, he had 78 dunks last year. Uh, I don't think you saw 78 dunks in your four years here at Illinois. <laughs> Yeah, no, I, there's no chance. There, there's no, there's no chance I did. Oh, that's amazing. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. All right, let's uh, talk about some of the the glue guys. And, like, you don't want to overlook this. Um, The returns of Trent Frazier, DeMonte Williams, Jacob Grandison, it might sound boring, but I kind of go out, hey, those are are your next three guys on this team. Like, Alfonso Plummer is going to be a a microwave scorer, right? Like, Omar Payne will get into, and uh, Coleman Hawkins and Austin Hutcherson as X-Factors. But those three guys are so important, Mike, to bring him back. What do they give uh, Illinois outside of just being 23-year-old guys on the court? Yeah, I mean, I always sing the praises of – of Trent Frazier in terms of his adaptability. It's, it, it, it's pretty incredible to go from being really the guy his freshman year. Um, and then being able to take a back seat to, to guys like Io, to guys like Andre Corbello, when, when you're a really good player in your own right. Um, but the, the maturity of Trent Frazier to go from, okay, I'm not going to be leading us in, sh- in field goal attempts. I'm not going to be leading us in points. Like where, is my bread buttered and it's the defensive end um, and knocking down open shots. And he's done that, you know, last year, you know, he, he, he obviously did it at a high level on, on both ends of the floor. Um, but I think he's become such a, such an unbelievable defender. I think he'll be right up there for big 10 player of the year. Um, you know, now that, now that more sells out of the, out of the conference. Um, but I, I think he'll be right up there with a lot of those guys for, you know, for, for, for you know, all big 10 defensively, uh, but I think people forget, man, he was honorable mention all big 10 last year. Yeah. Um, like he was, he was right there. Like, I, I think there, I think it's not out of the question where if he has a, if he has another solid year um, and even increases his output a little bit, I, I don't think third team all big 10s out of the, out of the question for Trent Frazier. Um, and I think he's that well-respected um, by, by his, by his peers, maybe not Hunter Dickinson, um, but, but, but certainly by his, by his peers, by opposing coaches, I think all, all of them kind of see what he, um, you know, what he brings to the table, but it's going to be interesting to see where he falls into offensively. Like, I mean, Alfonso Plummer is a gunner. Um, so it, it'll be interesting to see where, you know, how that shot distribution gets broken up. Um, you gotta, you gotta think that Curbelo and Coburn are going to be the, the two guys that are leading the team. And then from there, it becomes, yeah, it becomes extremely interesting. But, um, but Trent's a guy that I, I can't say enough about in terms of how he's really embraced 
you know, being that kind of culture guy, Underwood talks about being, being an everyday guy. Um, but talking about Jacob Grandison too, like let's, I mean, his emergence last year. And I think that, I think it ends up being one of the questions for this team this year. Like who's going to be the guy that emerges. Um, Cause let's remember he, he what barely played, barely played in the non-conference and then he becomes the switch, right? Like you put him in the starting lineup and everything kind of fell into place with DeMonte coming off the bench. Like the roles just kind of settled in after that. Yeah, I'll take it a step further. He not only barely, barely played, but when he played, it didn't look good. No. Like it, it was – so it wasn't one of those things where it was like, here's a guy that's showing flashes. It was just kind of like, I kind of got to get him out. Um, and then I think the Penn State game really changed things for him. Uh, you're talking about a guy that that scored at Holy Cross. Like that was his role. And and, and I got to give him credit too. You, gotta, you go from – coming into kind of a very unique role that you've really never played and it takes time. And I think that's, that's the thing you got to think about for freshmen. That's the thing you got to think about for guys that are transferring in that may have had a, a, a different role, like an Austin Hutcherson. Like there's a lot of guys that have had roles or the role that they will have on this Illinois team. is not a role that they've had in the past. And, you know, we expect them just to be like, you know, Hey, what are you doing? You know, be your best self. But, but there's, there's a, there's a process that you have to go through, but you look back at, the emergence of this team last year. And, and it kind of coincided with Jacob Grandison entering the starting lineup. I mean, they're 15 and one before that Loyola game, um, but 15 and two when he was in the starting lineup. And I think he just added so much to this team. Uh, honestly does a lot of things that, that DeMonte Williams does, but he's three inches taller mm-hmm. and, and you're not at a disadvantage defensively. And um, you know, he, he's such a good cutter. He shot, you know, 42% from three. I mean, he is, and I think I tweeted it last year, but I was like, every national, you go back and look at every team that's won a national championship or has won a Big Ten championship, like they have a Jacob Grant. Um, you know, and and I think he's another guy too that I don't think gets enough credit, um, not only for just owning his role that he plays, but Jacob Grandison has game. Like I like I think people realize, like, I'm talking off the bounce. Like he is he that dude has game. It's just you know, it's, it's, where does that fit into this yeah. particular team? So you gotta, you gotta always give the, the, the kid credit for that. So, um, yeah, he's, he was amazing coming on last year and I expect him to, to obviously probably play more of a natural position this year at the three. Um, you know, I, I'm, I'm somewhat on the Coleman Hawkins trend. Like I wouldn't be shocked to see Coleman Hawkins start at the four. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you look at that lineup and it's like, Whoa, yeah. you know, you're going Carbello Frazier, and then six six Grandison, six ten Hawkins, seven foot Coburn, and you got some versatility there with Hawkins. Um, but yeah, I, I love what he was able to do last year. For forty two percent from three, uh, twenty two for twenty three from the free throw line, ninety five percent. Only reason why he wasn't up there in the Big Ten because I don't think he shot two a game. But I mean, that's just dependable. I, it's it's consistent. It's you know you really have many Jacob Grandison games where you're like get him out. like right. by the end of the year it wasn't like hey get him off the floor like we need somebody else in there. He really you know he really embraced that. I'm looking at his numbers as a starter: five and a half points, four rebounds, two two assists, a steal. Um, shot 55%, shot 41% from three. Like with all those pieces around him, like that's exactly what you want. Um, so good. And I do think like Demonte obviously took a huge leap last year as a shooter and still did all the little things well. I, I, I think we got to make a point here. What great development um, by, by the staff. And as you said, 
buy-in from those guys because Jacob Grandison was the best player at Holy Cross. Demonte Williams uh, at one point was it was a top 50 recruit, right? But like he got confidence enough to shoot that three as well as he we heard he did in practice all those years. And then Trent Frazier to go from the number one scorer, uh, go-to guy in a team, number two guy, to accept his role as like the third or fourth scorer but be a shutdown defender. Um, that says a lot about those guys and this coaching staff kind of getting all those guys to kind of buy into it. That's, it just reminds you of what Tom Izzo, Matt Painter, and uh, you know Chris Holtman's got going at Ohio State, uh, Michigan had with John Beeline. That, that, that's a winning formula right there. That's, that's, that's how you pump out winning seasons. Um, I think you look at – and it's not only just about how these players develop. That's an aspect of it. But it's – you have younger guys watching that development. You have younger guys watching like, oh, man, DeMonte bought in, Trent bought in. I'd be – like, I can't be the sore – like, the sticking out like a sore thumb, yeah. um, being the guy that doesn't buy in. So, it, it – you know, the buy-in from upperclassmen ends up trickling down uh, to where a lot of these underclassmen are like, no, this is just what we do. Um, you know, we don't complain about our situation. Uh, you know, we're kind of unconditional in that in that regard. But the, I'll make this point about DeMonte Williams because it's, it's part of a, a more, I guess, grander point. Uh, just from the the psychology of shooting the basketball. So let's let's dive into this because I think it's it's a point that that really doesn't get talked about enough. When you are a guy that shoots limited attempts, when I say limited attempts, I mean one and a half, one, one and a half, two, maybe two point three, um, three point attempts a game. Okay. People don't understand, like theoretically in a perfect world, every shot you shoot should be the same shot. You should have the same mentality shooting that shot. And that's just the way it should be. But I'm, I'm here to tell you that it's not. And, and for most people that are human, um, when you have limited shot attempts, when you have one, one and a half, two, two and a half, like I just mentioned, the amount of weight that you put in to every shot, when you know it could be your only one, when you know that, you know, after you start over two, you may not get another one. Um, and you got to sit with that for typically three to four days. And that's so difficult to do. Uh, and, and I'm saying this more because I, I thought Andre Corbello, although he started three for eight last year, he didn't make many more after that. Um, so this is how I always like to break it down. Because the, the, the bigger point that I'm trying to make is when you're a limited attempts guy, how you start typically dictates what your percentage ends up being for the season. So let's, let's break it down with DeMonte Williams. Freshman year, three for 15, started three for 15. So, and I'm doing 15 as more of like, okay, yeah. two attempts a game, seven to eight, seven to sure. eight games in the season. It's not like your first 10. Freshman year, three for 15. Sophomore year, four for 15. Junior year, two for 15, mm. right? 23%, 30%, 28%. Senior year. 10 for 15, right? 55% for the season. Cause, cause at that point, if you start that way, you kind of, you kind of feel like you're shooting with house money. Yeah. So it's a completely different psychology. And I, I bring it back to the grander point of, I think that if Andre Corbello is going to shoot a high percentage that year, this year, I think a three for four game in the first three games, you know, I think it, it goes a long way. You can look at it as just one game, but, um, uh, just to paint the picture of the other side of it, now when you talk about volume shooters, right? And this is kind of just making my point. Kendrick Nunn at Oakland, 
13 threes a game on average, attempted 13 threes a game. I watched Kendrick Nunn go 0 for 8 to start a game. He finished 5 for 13. <laughs> like, But here's the thing. it's He can shoot himself in and yeah. out of a slump in one game, whereas for other guys, that's – you know, if you're shooting two threes a game, you end up shooting, you know, shoot two threes a game, 14 threes is over seven games. Might take you a month. Yeah, it takes you a month. So you, that is marinating every day. Three, like just went over two, just went over two, you know, one for three. What like these guys that are volume shooters can shoot themselves out of that. Whereas, you know, if you're a lower volume guy, that sticks with you. Um, and, and great, like, you know, you're winning games, but everybody wants to do well, mm-hmm. um, and, and be a guy, because if you make threes, you have a little bit more leash to shoot threes. Um, so it's all kind of like the chicken or the egg thing, but you know, I go back to clay Thompson. I make this point all the time with guys that, you know, that are kind of anomalies in that regard. Cause you could say like, Oh no, you could start the season, not shooting well and, and turn it around. Yeah, sure. You can, you know, back in 2016, 2017, clay Thompson started the year three for 28. Okay, he finished season 43%. Uh, 1819, he started the year five for 36. Clay, Clay Thompson, yeah, like one of the best three-point shooters ever, five for 36. And you know, he starts five for 36. You know what the following game was? I think you do. It's against the Chicago Bulls. I, I remember 14, that. <laughs> and, yeah, and he went 14 for 24. Ugh. So, you know, you go from being 18% from three to, to 32%. And all of a sudden you're like, Oh yeah, I'm good. Cause you can shoot yourself out of that one game. And they, those guys know that. And that's why it's just very, very important for guys like DeMonte Williams and Andre Curbelo to truly challenge themselves to treat each shot like its own shot and shoot it with confidence each time. And don't let the over two dictate your next shot. Don't let the, you know, your previous game where you struggled dictate your next shot. Cause that's the hardest thing to do as a shooter is, is not think about the previous result. So you, you train yourself to do that. So that's, that's what I'll be looking for this year, especially with those two is to see how the start that they have from through the three point line and, and what they finish with. Cause typically it coincides. That's great stuff, man. Great research on that too. That's why we have you on here. Um, all right, let's talk about some of these new additions and talk about volume three point shooters. Alfonso Plummer certainly adds that when you get a guy, uh, this isn't the normal, but he's gotten 11 threes in a game before. Um, but he's, he's had many games of four plus threes. And you think about how that can carry an offense. We've seen Trent Frazier do that at times, not consistently, but he, he can do that at times and what it does for you in a game. And then Omar Payne, who thought he was stepping into a starting role after being in the shadow of Colin Castleton last year. Well, he's kind of in the shadow of, of Kofi Coburn, but gives Illinois one of the strongest, most talented center rotations they've ever had. Um, so what is the impact of, of bringing those two guys off your bench, Mike? I mean, you talk about elite level, you know, elite, elite level shot making from, from Alfonso Plummer. Um, I always like to say there's certain guys that are comfortable being uncomfortable. Uh, and that's, that's Alfonso Plummer to a T. And, and I say that just his ability to get shots off the shots he's willing to take. Um, and, and he's done it at a high clip. Like, I mean, you know, we'll watch some of the clips here in the film breakdown, but I mean, I think it's one of the first clips that I have in there for Alfonso. He hits shots that I'm not talking like a handful of players in the big 10 could make. I'm talking about a handful of players. In the big 10 can even get off. Yeah. Um, and, and that's, that's, that opens up so many different things because I'm a big believer of 
you got to have one guy on your team. That's just like no conscience, like, you know, and then, and he, cause you want to have a guy that you can kind of like, you'd rather reel a guy back in than yep. be the guy constantly. It's like, Hey, no, 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 you can make shots. You know, cause you don't have to tell Alfonso Plummer. Like he knows. Yeah. I mean, you'll see some of these, some of these shots. I mean, he, he knows th- that he's a shot maker and, and almost think like J.R. Smith, like one of those guys, it's just like, he shot that. Oh man, it went in. All right. Well, you know, he's, he's, he's so good in that regard. Um, and I think the other thing too, that, you know, with Alfonso is, yeah, he dealt with a little bit of dysfunction last year. I mean, Utah wasn't the most functional program. Um, they, they didn't win a lot of games. Uh, and, and honestly, I think part, like it was pretty impressive to see what Plummer was able to do. Uh, Cause he's not a guy that's like break you down get shots off. He's, he's, he's a lot more catch and shoot. He's coming off of screens and he really didn't have a, like a true point guard last year um, and was still able to get these different looks. So I think Andre Corbello unlocks and even, you know, and even di- different part of his game um, being able to get even more of those types of shots off. And, and he's not, his strength is not handling the basketball. Like that's not, you know, he, he's good when he's like very decisive. I'm shooting the shot or I'm driving to the basket to score. And, and that's where his bread is buttered. When you, when you start having make him make a bunch of this, a bunch of decisions, handling the ball, that's not his strength. And, you know, I, I think his, his freshman year, I think he had 10 assists. Um, we talked about Kofi having five, Alfonso Plummer at 10. Um, and then last year he had 25, but he had 34 turnovers. You know, he had 10 assists his freshman year and, I think 15 turnovers. So he's never been a, a positive assist to turnover guy. And that's fine because you're not relying on him to, to handle the ball a ton. Uh, and, and that's what I'm talking about when you have guys and pieces of this team that fit like, Hey, plumber, we don't need you to handle the ball because we got one of the best in the country. Like just do, just do what you do. Um, he had games last year. He had, it, it's weird. Cause I, it's, I don't even want to say that he's turnover prone. He is, I guess when he puts it on the, on the deck and tries to make decisions, but he had 34 turnovers last year, and almost a fifth of those were in one game yeah. um, in the conference tournament against Washington. He had six, um, which really is kind of inexcusable because I don't think he handles it enough to, to warrant six turnovers. It's almost like a couple of Trents earlier in the year. You know, he had I think he had two games of five. And it was just kind of like he shouldn't be having five turnovers, and he shirted it up. But, you know, I, I think Alfonso Plummer is going to offer so much to this team in terms of tempo – in terms of the types of shots they can get off in, in transition and secondary transition, um, he unlocks a lot of that. And I, and I think Corbell is going to have a blast playing with them because he's just a guy that if you leave him open, it's not even like if you leave him open, if you're guarding him and your hands are down, like it is going up. And, and part of it is, you know, Illinois fans just got to be okay with, yes. he's not going to make every shot. So there's going to be a few where you're like, uh, but you know, he's also going to have games where he hits, six or seven threes. So that's certainly possible. He had the open practice, Mike, and it's not just that he makes shots. It's the shots he takes and is able to make, like, and and get off, as as you said. Like, he caught a ball, turned quick, and and elevated and and sunk it, and Brad Underwood just looked at us and said, he's going to be a problem. Like, it's just that ability is is rare. Uh, To be able to get off those shots so quickly as a release is, is so quick in the way he can just square up like some guys can't square up as quickly as he does so uh, he's going to be interesting he's got such a good he's got such a good base and that's 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 always half the battle with guys that can get shots off like that it doesn't like it doesn't matter where his feet are facing if his feet like if his base is loaded like he's 
quote unquote squared up. Like it doesn't matter where he's at. And I think that makes you so much more dynamic as a shooter. And, and it, and it makes it easier to come off screens and shoot because it, you don't have to have your feet facing the bats. You don't have to have your feet squared. You can be, you, you just rise up and fix it in the air. And that's kind of what he does because he gets great elevation on a shot. But you, you mentioned Omar Payne, you know, Omar Payne is a, is a guy like the more that you, you watch his Florida stuff, they, you know, they, they did a lot of funky things defensively. Uh, they, you know, they had a bunch of different zone packages they had, but also they cross-matched a ton. Um, and, and when I say cross-match, I mean, you know, Tyree Appleby was their point guard, uh, who's about 5'10", 5'11". And a lot of these SEC offenses are so ball screen heavy that in order to prevent you from being in, at a disadvantage in ball screen situations, they would have Omar Payne guard the point guard and they would have Tyree Appleby guard the big so that when they come up to set the screen, they just switch and they're right back into their matchups. Uh, Tom Crean actually did it against us in the, in the Big Ten tournament with Yogi Ferrell and Noah Vonley. And um, it's, a, it's a unique – like, I wouldn't recommend it. I'd just rather have you be good in ball screen coverages because what ended up happening, and I, I'm not sure if I put the clips in there, was just, you know, he's playing against Bob Huggins in West Virginia and, like, in the, I guess, the Big 12 SEC Challenge – and they put Omar Payne on Miles McBride. And Huggins was like, everybody sink to the baseline. And Miles McBride like went around him and, and shot a floater off the glass. So they put him in a lot of weird spots. And quite honestly, he, he is good in ball screen scenarios. He's fantastic offensively in ball screen scenarios. I think he's going to, he's, I don't know what I'll put his over under at for, for lobs this year. Um, but I don't know, 25 and a half. I don't, it's going to be, it's going to be a lot. And, and I think, what he saw in the SEC compared to what he'll see in the Big Ten is going to be his biggest challenge. Because um, quite honestly, like there weren't many back-to-the-basket bigs in the SEC. And, and, and honestly, the, the clips that you see, he's a rim protector. He's probably better from the, from the weak side than he is just head up. Um, but, but, you know, he got put under the basket a few times by, you know, the Jeremiah Tillmans of the world, not to send a shiver down anyone's spine. Um, but that, that, I think that's where he makes, you know, where he makes the next step. And that's where his minutes are really determined because, and I'm not talking the difference between playing five minutes, and 25 minutes. I'm talking about playing 10 or 15. Um, Cause that's, that's a big difference. And, and uh, I think. Because Jeremiah Tillman's a good big man in college basketball, but Hunter Dickinson and Zach Eady and, you know, Trevion Williams are a little bit different. Trace Jackson Davis, like all the, all these guys, like these, you know, that that's the way that I think he can, really take this next step because he needs, I mean, this is, it's not just this year. Like, the, you know, this is a guy that's going to be relied upon once, once Kofi decides to leave uh, whenever that, you know, whenever that is, but, but I'll wrap it up by, by saying Omar Payne is a guy that really, he knows his limitations. Um, and there's something to be said about that. Like he's not a guy that's like, man, I'm dying to play on the perimeter. Um, you know, he shot 75% from the field last year because he was JaVale McGee. Yep. You know, he cut, he set screens, he got lobs, he kept balls alive in the offensive glass. Um, he was a rim protector, uh, kind of the same Kofi syndrome a little bit where he'll just go and try to get a weak side block. Um, we'll see some of that in, in the clips, but, uh, but I do really like what he brings to this team. Like if he was, you know, if he was your starting center and, and you're having to rely on him this year for, you know, 25 plus minutes, I may have like a little bit of pause um, but in this role that he's in, I think he's, uh, I think he's, he's great to, to back up a guy like Kofi. 
No. Yeah. It's complimentary as well. Uh, if For sure. You can go maybe big against Purdue if they throw Edie and Williams there together and, you know, feel like you can handle a little bit more uh, with Payne as your backup center. Uh, all right. Before we get out of here and focus on our VIP film room here, I don't want to talk too much about the freshmen because I don't think we're going to see a bunch of them. We saw some good things from Luke Goody. Uh, I think it's nice that as a program, you can kind of be patient with those guys now. But I think the two X factors of the season, I kind of lump these guys together, are two guys who have great skill sets, great length, which Illinois could really use at the four and the three uh, and the two, potentially, maybe the one if Brad Underwood plays Austin Hutcherson there. But Austin Hutcherson and and Coleman Hawkins, we saw a little bit of Coleman last year, obviously needs more time to add strength, had that in the offseason. Austin Hutcherson, we haven't seen on a Division I basketball court uh, yet, Mike. So... I know Illini fans are excited about what they could be, and the ceilings seem high given their athleticism, skill sets, length. But like, where are you at with those guys? Because they do add something defensively with their length and athleticism, and obviously have some skill sets offensively that these could be the guys that push your ceiling up uh, even higher. I just, where are you setting your expectations? Uh, I'll start with Coleman Hawkins. I'm really excited about him. Um, I thought last year. And like you always have to factor in freshmen coming in, playing a new role, like a role that you've never really seen yourself in. So it's you have those bouts with your confidence, and typically your confidence impacts your athleticism. Um, and he's a guy last year. I thought he just he looked a little robotic, mm-hmm. and it's almost like you look, you watch high school highlights and you're like, he looks loose. He's flying around. He's dunking everything, and all of a sudden, you know, he, he looked he just looked robotic last year, and a lot of that is not having confidence, you know, and, and then you look at your athletic ability and I think this year you're going to see him just, you know, it's almost like you see a bucket go in or you get, you know, I think last year he had a, he had a really good block. I forget who it was against, but then all of a sudden the next few possessions, I'm like, Hey, he's moving, he's, he's moving a little bit. Like he's, he's up a little, little bit, bit more. Yeah. He's a little bit more sure of himself, but um, I think he's likely the most improved uh, player on this team. I, I, like I said, I wouldn't be surprised to see him start at the four, um, bump Jacob to the three, uh, which, which obviously leaves, leaves DeMonte there as, as kind of the odd man out, but he did that. Like DeMonte did that last year. Um, yeah, Mike, I think that, that, that's going to be, and sorry to cut you off and and we'll talk more about Coleman, but, um, that's gonna be the interesting thing with me because I think DeMonte Williams, Jacob Grants and Trent Frazier, like, Hey, I can plug them into the starting role 20, 25 minutes. Like that's kind of how I have it in my head. But when it comes to rotations, I think it makes sense to have either Coleman or, or Austin as a starter because then you get DeMonte off the bench and you get another veteran to go along with Plummer and Payne and you know the other guys you have coming off. So that can make a lot of sense. I, I think that's going to be really interesting to watch. But if Coleman gives you confidence, I think that'd be great because I think he makes you a lot more versatile defensively. Yeah, and you saw just the toughness last year. And I don't like just defining toughness off of one play, but when he ripped the guy when he when he ripped the ball out of the guy's hands against Baylor as a freshman in like a big, big game. Um, I love that. Like I, and, and he's another guy too, as a freshman and he wasn't asked to do a lot in terms of, you know, his, uh, in terms of what was required of him, but he had a positive assist to turnover ratio. And I think really anybody, any fresh, any freshman big man that has a positive assist to turnover ratio is that's a, that's a thumbs up. Um, absolutely. I, I think, you know, I think he's one of those guys. I think he'll actually back up a little bit to it at the five. I think there's going to be moments where I think he'll, I think he might start at the four. And once he gets subbed out, he can circle back in and get, 
Kofi a breather or get, you know, Omar a breather, depending on, you know, let's say Kofi picks up too early and Omar's in there, like Coleman's going to have to circle back mm-hmm. and, and be that five man. So uh, he's going to be counted on for, you know, in my opinion, 18 to 20 minutes a game this year. But when you start breaking down minute distribution, I think everybody wants to look and be like, he's a 15 minute a game guy. He's a 20 minute a game guy. Well, is he? Because, you know, if you look at a starting lineup, there's 200 minutes to be dispersed over a game. Corbello's 30 plus, Frazier's 30 plus, and Coburn's going to be right around 30. It's about half of your minutes. So now you look at six other guys and have to, you know, disseminate 100 minutes to six other guys. And it's not all going to be equal. You can't just say like, okay, each guy gets 15 because the next, because once a guy gets 20 to 25, that's, that's five to 10 for the other guy. So, you know, that's, that's the challenge this year. And then you mentioned, you know, Hutch, I, I think he's, he's not only a potential X factor, I, he's the, the biggest question mark. Yeah. Um, uh, I think out of everybody, when you go from D3 to D1, it, it's tough because there's just a different type of physicality. And I think that's the one thing that, and, and I feel for the kid because back injuries are tough and it really limits your ability to just like, let it loose. Um, you're super conscious of it. Uh, and, and I think from a physicality standpoint, like that's what he's going to have to overcome playing in the big 10. Uh, I would actually expect him. He may be my, he may be my pick. We, we should do something like this where it's like, okay, who's going to have the exhibition performance that everybody overreacts about. Um, I think it's going to be either like him or one of the freshmen. It's going to be somebody where you're like, oh my God, this guy's going to put up 15 a game in the big 10. And, you and don't, uh, this should be the it, Benjamin Bossman's Verdonk award after he had 11 points and made three threes like that. That was kind of like, oh my God, look at this kid. And yeah. Hey, it was the only thing we had. We just like, I'm not low on him, but I feel like I am the low man on Hutcherson because He's got he's got to come back from back injuries, Mike, uh, which we know is is not easy. Hard. He's got to make the adjustment from D one to or D three to D one, and and not just D one, but high major. So that's a way bigger leap than Grandison made, and Grandison struggled early last year. And I know he can do great things in practice, but it's just different in, in real games with fans in State Farm Center, right? So like all those factors make me say, yeah, it'd be great um, if Austin Hutcherson can give you six points a game to eight points a game and give you kind of a versatile athlete out there. But as you said, the physicality, just getting your confidence and finding your role on this team of all teams. Like it's a great thing that he's your eighth or ninth man rather than having to count on him as a starter. Like we thought at one point, but I just, I don't know what to expect because we haven't seen it. I, I, and I think too, you always got to factor in similar to Jacob Grandison. It's just his role at Illinois was not his role at his previous school. Um, and how do you manage that? Like already when you're, when you're battling potential back injuries and you're, you know, you, you kind of become a, a guy. And I think this is his game. His game's going to be to utilize his length and knock down open shots and attack closeouts and, and make good reads. Um, that, that should be his game and then, and then do his best to, to compete at the defensive end. But um, I really view him as a guy where like any, any positive production from Austin Hutchinson is just like, you know, it's icing on the cake. I don't think it doesn't make or break your season, but it's certainly an, an, you know, a, a great thing to have, um, you know, when you're looking at depth, because I, I always say it, you know, you, you can look at, hey, we have 10, 11 guys that can really play this year. It's like, yeah, well, it's going to be seven or eight. Um, it always is. Uh, that's just kind of how it always whittles down to, because you can't really like you want to get the most out of the guys that you want on the floor. And in order to do that, like you're not about to go hockey shifts, you're not going to go five in five out or else, you know, it's kind of a, 
you're kind of doing yourself a disservice. So um, I think both of those, I think Coleman Hawkins is, is, you know, he's my vote for, for most improved player this year. Um, the table's set for him to do that. Uh, and then Austin Hutcherson, you know, he's just a guy that you look and say, all right, well, let's see what we can get from him. Um, my expectations aren't, aren't through the roof because I, I don't think that's fair to the kid right. uh, with, with kind of what he's going through. So, um, but both, both good players that I think can, can help this program in, in some way, shape or form. All right, Mike, as we wrap this up, I think both of us are pretty high on what this team can do. How does this team look different? And then what are your concerns that could keep this team from winning a Big Ten championship or advancing far into the NCAA tournament like everybody hopes they will? Yeah, I think anybody that was a part of that team last year and and the way that that ended, um, it's somewhat of a wake-up call that, you know, you got to bring it every day regardless. Um, and what I mean by that is it's really easy to continue to come to practice every day because you feel like you're building towards the final four. Um, everybody's excited. Vibes are great. Um, but just adopting that mentality where you just, you just work with no guarantees. Um, I think that's, that's the next step where these guys really, you know, you, you go through a loss like that and then your, your next step is, all right, let's turn it around. Let's, uh, you know, let's hit the pavement here for, for the next year. Um, but I think things that they can, I, I do think they're going to be a better offensive team, uh, which is crazy to say, because I think they were eighth in the country last year, uh, according to Ken Palm, uh, they're going to be in that top 10 range. Uh, defensively is really going to be the question mark. Um, you know, these guys, these new guys, right? Like I think Omar Payne brings, you know, brings a positive to the table uh, defensively, the way he protects the rim. Um, but you look on the perimeter, you know, it's going to come down to how Coleman, how Coleman Hawkins adjusts um, defensively. Like, how does he hold his own in, in the post? And then these guys in the perimeter, how's Alfonso Plummer? You know, uh, the thing with, with, with Plummer, when you watch his, his clips at Utah, he's a capable defender if he stays focused. Like, that's, that's, that's kind of his thing. He's, he's so anxious to get to the offensive end that – he kind of, he, he leaks out a little bit or he kind of, you know, he'll give up on a play every now and then. Um, but, I, but I think that's where this team can really take the next step. And, and it's great when you have like that buildup year in 1920, where you're like, Hey, we could be something 2021. You deliver on that in terms of being a one seed and putting together a, a very complete season. And then now it's like, really like there's plenty of teams that have done that. A lot of teams have had that, like, two years spur, like, Hey, remember, you know, such and such team in like the early two thousands, like, what was that? Mm-hmm. You know, like, and, and now you're, you're proving that, you know, we are a program. We are a, you know, a powerhouse program in, in the big 10. Um, so I think there's, there's a lot of different areas that, that you can look at. Uh, well, even, even just diving into more granular details, they were, they were so good protecting the paint last year, forcing tough twos. I think they were, you know, top 20 in the country last year in two point percentage defensively, um, which is, which is fantastic. I think their opponents shot 32% from three last year, which is, which is great. Um, and I do think that, I think they'll turn some, some teams over a little bit more this year. Um, 316th in the country last year in, in forcing turnovers. So, or, or I guess in their, in their turnover percentage defensively. And uh, I think that's, that's, they'll take another step because I think there's just going to be more length out there. Um, you know, more, more 
hands to get into gaps. Uh, I, I really like Andre Curbelo's ability to, to, you know, that, I, I always think about that Iowa game where he was just a pest, you know, Jordan Bohannon looked like he couldn't dribble. Um, but you know, I, I do think at the same time, he's a guy, we didn't even touch on it for Andre Curbelo, but who's the backup point guard. Um, I mean, it's Trent he's a secondary ball handler, but you can't have the fouls you had last year, Curbelo. Like you can't like last year you could get away with it because you still had IO and you know, the, the ball handling duties are what they are. And he kind of had them anyways, but any type of absence from Andre Curbelo this year really, really hurts this team. Um, you know, foul trouble hurts this team. Um, I, I do think he'll get a more favorable whistle this year. Uh, you know, that's just how it goes as a freshman. It's, it is quick. Like you, you, you look like you're in a situation where you're at a disadvantage, like it's a foul. And the, um, and the one thing I want to mention, Mike, with that, Andre, as a freshman, talked more to referees than I've ever seen a freshman talk to referees. Like he, like he, he was building relationships. A lot of, that, a lot of this. Yeah, yeah. Well, that, and, and even like afterwards, like after timeouts, I don't know if people saw this at home because I was one of the only people in the stadium. Like, he'd go up to them and talk to them about what's a foul, what's a travel, like what's all this. And building that relationship might pay off as a sophomore, right? Like that yeah. you know, you've talked with those guys, you've learned what they're going to call, but also you might've made a little bit of a friend there. Yeah. I think he was, he, he approached his, like Luca's. So Luca's very bad at this. Luca's the ultimate, like kind of making the ref feel like an idiot yeah. uh, for every call. But I thought Curbella approached that with like, a genuine curiosity last year, uh, which was, which was really cool to see. And I think that's whether refs want to admit it or not, there's some, there's some sort of like subliminal subconscious where like, you know, refs are humans too. And if they're like, yeah, I I really don't like this guy. Um, They'll probably make more calls, but if they really like you, you know, they may give you a pass every now and then. I think similar to, I think IO got last year. I think Corbello gets that same type of whistle, but he, I, I will say with Andre Corbello, for as much as we can talk about him fouling, like the dude drew a lot of fouls, yep. um, which is something I think this year too, it, you know, he'll get even more confidence from his outside shooting because I think he's going to be at the line even more. Yeah, Mike, if you had to vote, who, who do you have winning the Big Ten? Isn't, for, it, isn't for, it boring for me to say Illinois? I, well, um, I came down to Illinois and Purdue. I get why everyone is picking because I'm picking a regular season champion. And I think those two teams are going to be tough to beat five plus times in the Big Ten, especially with the I think the bottom half of the Big Ten is way weaker this year, especially the very bottom. And I just think those teams in a 20 game schedule have a great chance of winning 15 plus games. I think Michigan's the most talented team. They also replace a ton. I mean, people talk about replacing Iowa Desumu. Franz Wagner, Mike Smith, you know, Isaiah Livers, like Caleb Houston's probably gonna be a lottery pick and that could be great. Um, he's gonna be really good and I wouldn't want to play them in March. Uh, I also think Ohio State should get some consideration here. If they had Dwayne Washington back, I might have had them as like a surprise Big Ten champion. I, I just think their wings are so good. It's just, I have the question about point guard for them. Um, but I, I I'm picking between Illinois and Purdue, and I went Illinois just because yeah. I think Kofi Coburn can win the head-to-head matchup against Purdue. I'm with you on that. And I think it's much less of me saying, hey, it's Illinois, and, and more backing up my reason why it's not some of the other teams. Uh, you know, I, I think Illinois, quite frankly, and you can point to the Iowa thing, but Illinois, I, 
maybe, and like you said, with Purdue, I think Illinois just has the least quite like the least amount of question marks. Um, they have the point guard play. They have the interior play. They've, they've, they did a fantastic job in the portal. Um, you know, they did a fantastic job recruiting in some solid freshmen. Uh, and then these other pieces that they have are primed to emerge and, and uh, Houston uh, or, you know, Michigan just has a lot of question marks in my mind. Uh, I'm of the belief that a guy like Hunter Dickinson, he kind of is what he is. Um, like I, I don't expect him to all of a sudden start like turning into Dirk. Um, yeah, I, I think whatever he was 14 and seven last year. I mean, I think he, maybe he gets up to 16 this year, but it's similar to Kofi. Like those guys kind of are what they are. They're dominant big men in the big 10, but you know, the coastal Carolina transfer, that's likely going to be a point guard. I know Mike Smith worked out really well for them coming from Columbia. Um, but you know, he's another piece that they add. They have a great freshman class, but there just haven't been many times in the big 10. I'm trying to think off the top of my head where it's like, Hey, this freshman class led this team to a title like it just it hasn't happened it's 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 typically with you know talent that that is pretty pretty well blended with youth but also some some experience as well and then Purdue Purdue's the one where I I think yeah the question marks there um it's going to more center around in my opinion their ability to score um I think they're going to be great defensively um, they still got Sasha. They still got, you know, Jaden Ivey, I think is, is obviously going to be a top 10 pick lottery pick. Um, Zach Eady, it's, it's one thing to just be like the tall, like, Oh yeah, taco fall. Awesome. Um, Zach Eady's got game. Um, and, and he, he played really well for the USA team this summer uh, or for the Canadian team. Right. Yeah. See Canadian. Canadian team. Yeah. So, you know, and, and then you look at, you look at Williams as well. He's another guy that, uh, he's going to be right up there for, for first team, all big 10. And um, they're tough because uh, to go along with the pieces that they have, like they're just a tough team. Yep. Like they're, you know, that's, that's kind it's of what that program has been built upon. <laughs> so, and, and you mentioned Ohio state, you know, they still got EJ Liddell. Um, I really like Kyle young. Um, you know, I think those guys are, I think those guys are solid. They've got another, you know, like you mentioned, a lot of good pieces on the wing. Um, I think that's really the race right there. Uh, I'd be surprised to see some of these other teams sneak in there. Maybe, and I'm not talking about Indiana winning the title, but you know they 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 had a good off season too. For as tumultuous as it looked for a second, um, Mike Woodson Mike Woodson did a pretty good job with you know bringing in some of those guys. So um, my pick's Illinois. Uh, you know, it, it, it my pick was Illinois last year, and had the most wins. Uh, so you know. And, and I guess the last point that I'll make about, you know, Illinois is I always talk about like not having those question marks. Um, I just really like the makeup of their team. Mm-hmm. Um, I think their pieces blend together so well. Whereas when you look at some of these other teams, like it can get kind of clunky in areas and it's like, okay, we got to be really good here because we got to make up for this you know, area that we have. Like there's just not a lot of holes this Illinois team. The, the big question is going to be how these how these guys yeah. simulate, I guess, and and kind of get into, you know, figure out the rotation and figure out minutes and shot distribution. Um, that's something that you can typically figure out pretty early. Yeah, and I think you got the non-conference where you're gonna be favored in every game. Like I hope they play Arkansas yeah. and Kansas City because that that'll probably be their toughest matchup. But you, you should be able to 
figure those things out while gaining confidence throughout it, but also get tested. So I think they're going to maybe have a stumble here that, that you don't want, but in the end, like last year, that could end up being really, really good for them. Well, Mike, I can't wait to see this play out, and uh, we're going to break it down throughout the season. Uh, we got our VIP film room coming up of uh, Alfonso Plummer and Omar Payne, so check that out. But Mike, can't thank you enough for this first longer but uh, really fun podcast. Appreciate it. Let's get it going, man. I appreciate it. I say it with Jay Lehman. I'm going to say it with Michael Tulip. He is the goods, man. Uh, what a way to start this college basketball season. And having Mike on board and Jay on board, man, I, I'm fired up because I just love talking ball with both those guys. And I know you guys love hearing from them because they're a lot smarter talking football and basketball than I am. And uh, to get their insight is is fantastic and uh, bring the passion and bring the energy as well. So, And I just wrapped up our film breakdown on the VIP side of things of Omar Payne and Alfonso Plummer. And Mike was elite level at this. He came with loaded clips. I think we said we did 25 clips in about 30 minutes that really show what Alfonso Plummer and Omar Payne can really bring to this team and some areas where they might struggle as well. But um, if you're not on the VIP side member of things, $1 for your first month and just try the, the VIP film room breakdown of these two guys, Alfonso Plummer and Omar Payne from Michael Tulip, and I think you'll know just in that one thing per week, uh, your membership is, is worth it. And, and then you get Jay Lehman on the side. Oh, Derek Piper with all his basketball recruiting reporting and basketball reporting. Then Joey Wagner with his great features and, and coverage of the Illinois football team. Um, I think we'll make that $1 worth it for your first month and then the VIP membership after that. So just pumped to have Mike on board to talk about this exciting season of Illini basketball. Thank you so much for listening to the Illini Inquirer podcast. If you don't already, give us a follow wherever you get your podcast, a rating review. That helps us out as well. Everybody, have a great day. Take care of each other. And we'll talk to you next time on the Illini Inquirer podcast. It only takes two minutes of sheer horror. A new Paramount Plus original docuseries. We were dealing with a serial killer preying on elderly women. A cold-blooded killer hidden in plain sight. He's suffocating people with pillows. Leaving corpses all over Texas. How did it happen? I was responsible for her. The guilt is immeasurable. They covered it up. Pillowcase Murders, now streaming exclusively on Paramount Plus.